Are you drinking the lethal cocktail? Welcome to On My Walk, the reading podcast that helps you capture reading's aha moments and apply them to your life and leadership. As I mentioned in my last podcast, I've been more absent than present of late as a result of all the activities surrounding our move, not out of Boca, but to a different home up the street. But I hope you've been reading. I have. I've been working my way through Max Hastings' Vietnam, an epic tragedy. While not a soldier, Hastings is certainly close to the war and is definitely fit to write about it. He was a British reporter covering the war in 1967 and 1968, and during this time, he encountered a lot of the war's decision makers, including President Lyndon Johnson. But he also covered the war personally in Indochina for the BBC. How close was he? This guy rode a helicopter out of Saigon in 1975 from the U.S. Embassy during that final evacuation. Hastings has written 26 books, mostly about conflict. From 1986 to 2002, he served as the editor-in-chief of the U.K.'s Daily Telegraph and then of the Evening Standard. Now, I picked up Vietnam, an epic tragedy, in part because I've wanted a working understanding of the conflict, but also because Lyndon Johnson, our 36th president, figures so prominently in the war. And I've read more about Johnson as a U.S. president than I have any other, and I wanted to have a better understanding of what his place was in this conflict, a very ignominious role at that. Let me say this before I talk about the lethal cocktail. Max Hastings' volume, all 896 pages of it, is worth every minute you invest in reading this text. It is sweeping in its coverage, going all the way back to its French roots in 1945 and continuing until its very end. It is gripping. I was listening to a portion on my walk this morning, and I was so engrossed, I didn't hear anything or see anything around me until I ended up back at my house and realized, wow, I was involved. Hastings is fair, both in his praise and in his criticism. The book is an education. Hastings begins chapter 3, The Fortress That Never Was, with these words. So many fatal decisions were made in Indochina that it would be invidious to single out any for primacy. But that which was made in November 1953 removed any lingering doubt about who was to become the victor, who the vanquished. And that's a very important line. And I want to start here because in the U.S. we often hear about Vietnam being Johnson's war, and in many respects it was as he escalated the conflict far beyond what he had inherited. But it was a war he inherited. And one error that appears again and again was the way those opposing the North Vietnam forces greatly underestimated their enemy. And at this point in the conflict, 1953, two key players were the North Vietnamese Army's General Giap and the French General Naval. Now, the battle was over Dien Bien Phu, an old camp the French wanted to reoccupy and which they considered very strategic. Now, this particular campaign would last from November 1953 to May 1954, the battle itself from March to May of 1954, and would prove to be a stupendous failure on the part of the French. The French inserted 
and supported soldiers at Dien Bien Phu, only to become surrounded and then besieged by the Viet Minh. This battle was not going well, but rather than withdraw, the pervading spirit of the French was, we'll show them. But the Vietnamese were patient and patiently drew a noose around the French forces and slowly the French were realizing we are in serious trouble. One soldier writing to his wife on January 11, 1954 said, Time passes slowly and nothing interesting happens. They tell us of hard times coming that will shake us out of our routine. Rumor has it that we're destined for sacrifice. And that was to be the case. Naval reported to Paris that the camp might become indefensible. And I'll tell you what happened. The French were defeated soundly, overrun and wiped out. But listen as Hastings tells you why. During the weeks that followed, the garrison launched several sorties against the enemy's artillery, all of which failed. Attempts to interdict Jap's supply routes from the air were also unsuccessful, partly because of the limitations of French B-26 marauder crews. Longley once found his positions undergoing an apparent Chinese air attack, then discovered that they'd been hit by an errant Frenchman. This was unsurprising when many bomb loads were released from 12,000 feet. Far away from Dien Bien Phu, the Viet Minh staged night commando attacks designed both to sap French air strength and to distract Naval's attention. Twenty aircraft, most of them precious C-47s, were destroyed in raids on airfields around Hanoi and Haiphong. From December onwards, Naval and his colleagues had ample intelligence, shared with their superiors in Paris to show that they faced the prospect of a full-blooded disaster. Yet they persevered, because a lethal cocktail of pride, fatalism, stupidity and moral weakness prevented them from acknowledging their blunder. If the garrison of Dien Bien Phu had been evacuated, nobody outside Vietnam would ever have heard of the place. There would have been merely a local withdrawal of a kind that had become familiar. Navarre bears principal responsibility, but France's entire political and military leadership deserves to share. It was the country's misfortune to be governed and commanded by men burdened with the humiliations of the previous decade, and thus constrained in every decision by a yearning to restore national honour, revive la patrie's glory. In a spirit of defiance, they perpetrated one of the least inevitable military fiascos of the 20th century. Yet they persevered because of a lethal cocktail of pride, fatalism, stupidity, and moral weakness prevented them from acknowledging their blunder. And my aha moment was an easy one. Is that me? Is there any place in my life and my leadership where I've chosen to drink that lethal cocktail? You know, fiascos militarily, organizationally, and personally are the consequences of pride, stupidity, moral weakness that prevents us from acknowledging, we got a problem here. Maybe I need to back up. Solomon said, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Naval and his colleagues drank the lethal cocktail, but they're not alone. 
leaders continued to sip that lethal mix right up to the very end of the war. It was the drink they drank. Don't let it become the cocktail you sip. That's my thought on my walk with Max Hastings and his volume, Vietnam, an epic tragedy. My question for you is, what will you do with that thought on your walk through life today? 